Turn to the book of Genesis. We are picking back up in our volume of the book series. We had to lay that down at the uh, beginning of December, took a little bit of a break. Spent some time talking about uh, the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and then talked about vision. And then we had uh, missionary Kale Horvath in from Budapest. And, and uh, so we just had a lot going on over the last some odd weeks. And so this morning, we're going to do a quick survey of 12 chapters of the book of Genesis. And by quick, I mean quick survey of it just to bring us back up to speed. I know we've got some people who've maybe showing up a little bit in the middle of it or uh, aren't up to speed. And and so I just want to take some time and and walk through that. Our base text is finally going to be in chapter 12, those first three verses of chapter 12. And so that's going to be home base, but I want you to start in chapter one. Now, as you turn there, I want to remind you of Psalm 40 in verse seven. Psalm 40 in verse seven says, And then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. So if you remember that we did a series in Psalm 40, and we came across this passage, and it's a quotation of Jesus hundreds of years before he even shows up on the scene, and yet it's quoting Jesus Christ. And so he says, hey, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. And so we decided, as leadership, we decided as pastors, hey, it's going to be wise for us to just do a survey of the Word of God, do a volume of the book, and just lay out how it all talks about Christ. And so I've really enjoyed it. I hope you have too. The temptation for me is to preach the book of Genesis, and that's not the goal. Our goal is to do a survey of all the books of the Bible, really just an overview of the Bible, and Lord willing, by December, we'll have finished the volume of the book. We'll close that. And well, and well that's, that's the goal anyway. That's what I'm working towards. Um, and so I just want to remind you of, of that. And today's message is God blesses complete obedience. God blesses complete obedience. And uh, that'll make sense, I think, as we, as we get to it. But if we could, let's start in Genesis chapter 1. I want to pray, and uh, we're going to hit the ground running. Like starting blocks, we're going to pray. Peter in the blocks, the guns are getting ready to go off. We're going, we're going to move, all right? So is everybody there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1? All right. So in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, right? That's just the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that we can come to you. Lord, your word starts with your creation. Your word starts with you saying you're the one who created. Lord, your word starts revealing to us that it was even Jesus Christ who did the creative work. Lord, we just want, Lord, we want to come to your word. Lord, we want to pour over its pages. Lord, we want the word of God to get into us. Lord, we need to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you would speak. Lord, I pray that we would have a, a deeper understanding of just a survey, how the Bible lays out the direction you're going as we set the stage to get to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, as we look at Abram's life and the calling out of the nation of Israel. We ask all this in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. All right. So in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 1, we deal with God's creation that creates heaven and, and earth. So I just want to remind you of that. And then we went into great detail 
Um, we spent, uh, I think, a week or two on talking about the Satan's fall, Lucifer's fall, between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, because it says this in verse 2, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And we spent some time in Isaiah 14, we spent some time in Ezekiel 28, looking at Lucifer as the anointed cherub of God, and how he wants to uh, join part of God. He wants to become part of God, of the Godhead. He wants to co-regent with the Lord, and he wants to, um, he wants to be as God, and, and uh, he falls. And in the midst of all that, he caused the earth to become uh, a wilderness, right? He causes it all to become a wilderness. And, and you say, well, I don't believe Lucifer fell right here. Well, then you got to place it somewhere. So it's got to be between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 3.1, it's got to be somewhere, and so we choose to place it here, and so spend some time looking at that. And then what you have in verses 3 all the way into chapter 2 is the restoration of God's creation. So he says, let there be light, and there was light, and he separates the light from darkness, and he puts the stars and the sky and the sun and all the animals and all those things. But I want you to go to chapter 2 for a moment. I want you to look at verse 3. Chapter 2, in verse 3, it says, And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, right? He finished the work, he rested, he blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work, which he, which the God, look at the next two words, created and made. Two different words. And you read about that in, in Genesis 1, that God does creative work, and he also does restoration work. So creation means to speak into existence. Made means to take existing materials and mold and shape them. Everybody with me on that? So he creates and he makes, and you see that in Genesis chapter 1 and in Genesis chapter 2. We'll stay in chapter 2 because in verse 7, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And so you had Lucifer in the beginning, who was God's praise leader, as it were. He, he had a throne in Eden, the garden of God, and he was the steward over God's kingdom. When he falls, that stewardship now passes on to this new guy, Adam, who's created in the likeness and image of God. Well, how do we know that? Go back to chapter 1 for a moment. Chapter 1, verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. And he goes on from there. He says, verse 27, so God created a man in his own image, and the image of God created him, male and female created he them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Notice they are replenishing the earth because it was plenished at one point in time. All right, so now in chapter 2, you have Adam, and he brings Eve, and they come together, and the, their, their job is to, um, to take care of the garden and to reproduce and fill the planet with sons of God. Before they get that accomplished, you get to chapter 3, and you have Lucifer, or the, the fallen Lucifer, the serpent, who comes in and causes them to, leads them to fall. And you see that in chapters 3 and 4. In chapter 4, you have... Um, they have Cain and, and Abel, and we walked some time and looked at their lineages. But I want you to go to chapter 3 in verse 15 for a moment. Chapter 3 in verse 15 is what's often referred to as the very first prophecy of Jesus Christ. It's the promised seed, right? So after the fall has happened, there's, there's a whole lot of drama going on, and, and 
the Lord says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. This is, this is God speaking to the serpent. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. In other words, a virgin birth, and it shall, produce, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so there's a prophecy of a promised seed. We know that promised seed is Jesus Christ. Amen? We all with me? I told you we're going to hit the ground running. We'll get to some practical stuff here pretty quick, but I'll, we got to set the stage and make sure everybody's on the same page. So the promised seed. Now, here's the deal. There's, there's a promised seed coming, but there's got to be a line for that promised seed to go through. Well, it's not going to come through Cain, and it's not going to come through Abel because Cain kills Abel, and Cain is now disqualified. You find a substitute child is born. His name is Seth. In fact, that's what his name means, substitute. And so the, the promised seed lineage comes through Seth's line. Now, look over here in chapter 5. Look at chapter 5 in verse 3. Chapter 5, verse 3. And Adam lived in 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. Why is that a problem? Remember what we just read in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. God created Adam and Eve, Adam, in his likeness and his image. But when you get to chapter 5 and verse 3, something's up. Now Seth is born not in God's image, but in Adam's fallen image, Right? gone. It is done away with. No man on the planet has the image of God until Jesus Christ shows up in, in John chapter 1, right? Nobody is called a son of God again until John chapter 1, where Jesus is called the son of God. All right, so this promised seed, this Jesus comes through Seth's lineage, and we spent some time looking, remember we, we spent some time looking at all the different names in Seth's line and how they prophetically lay out uh, human history, pointing us to the fact that Jesus Christ is coming through this line. All right, well, that, that line gets all the way down to a man named Noah. You read about him in chapter 5, verse 32. And Noah is 500 years old, and Noah begets Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, what's significant about Noah? Well, now God is going to start over with this, this Noah, Right, so the dispensation has passed away. We're starting over with the new dispensation. It's the Noahic, and, and God says, okay, I'm going to trust Noah now, and I'm going to destroy the world. I'm going to destroy everything in the earth with a flood. Now, why Noah? Why him above anybody else? Look at verse 9, chapter 6 and verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect Notice, in his generations, in other words, his ability to produce righteous seed, everything else, if you, man, we don't have time to get into everything happening in chapter six. We spent some time walking through that. There's a whole lot of drama happening in verses one through eight, where mankind has get, become so crazy. You have giants on the earth. You've got all kinds of nuts stuff going on. And God says, okay, I'm destroying it, but I'm starting over with Noah because he's perfect in his generations. In other words, his ability to bring forth seed that is uncorrupted. And so he uses Noah to do that, but he also brings forth a flood. You see that in chapter six, seven, and eight. Now go over to chapter nine for a moment. Chapter nine. Because in chapter nine, they get off the ark. They've been on the ark for well over a year. The earth uh, the waters have receded. Everybody they known in history is now gone off the scene. And so um, they get off the ark and in chapter nine, verse one, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and what? 
replenish the earth. The exact same thing that he told Adam and Eve in the very beginning. Why do they have to replenish it? Because it was plenished at one time, and now it needs to be replenished again. And so we, we spent some time looking at, in chapter 10, his three sons, right? Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We walked through that, and what you find in chapter 10 is the 70 nations. If you ask somebody from Israel, you ask a Hebrew individual who's a Bible believer, they will, and you ask them, how many nations are there on the planet today? You and I might say, well, 200 and some odd nations. And they would say, no, there's only 70. The 70 nations, the, all the people groups on this planet boil down to 70, and you'll find that Israel is the 71st. God singles out the nation of Israel as a 71st one unto himself. But you see in chapter 10, the 70 nations, but specifically the seed line doesn't go through, it doesn't go through Ham and it doesn't go through Japheth, it goes through Shem. Now go to chapter 10 and verse 21. Because Shem is the chosen seed line. And you get to chapter 10, verse 21, and unto Shem also the father of all the children of Eber. You see that? It's the very first time you find that name in your Bibles, the, the name Eber. All the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder, even unto him, were children born. And so now you, what you find in verse 21 through the end of the chapter is a, a portion of Shem's lineage, Right? Now, skip over, if you wouldn't mind, to chapter 14, just for a moment. Chapter 14, <coughs> I want you to show you something in verse 13. Chapter 14, verse 13. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the, what's the word? Hebrew. It's the very first time you find the word Hebrew in your Bible. And what does the word Hebrew mean? The word Hebrew means son of Eber. That's what it means child descendant of Eber. So go back over here to chapter 10 and verse 21. He lets you know there's something going on here in verse 21. Unto Shem also the father of all the children of Eber. Okay, well that, that's interesting. Because Eber has two sons. One's name's Joktan, one named Peleg. That's an interesting name, right? Peleg, and his name means divided because that's when the earth was divided. Uh, so, in fact, you can see this. Oh, goodness, where is that? In the verse 25. And to Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days was the earth divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. So you get Joktan's lineage, and you skip over to chapter 11. You get Peleg's lineage in, in verses 16 through the end of the chapter. And that's where the, this man named Abram shows up. He comes through the lineage of 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 Eber through Shem, through Noah, all the way back to Adam, right? This promised seed that was made in chapter 3, verse 15, we've now traced that lineage all the way through Peleg, all the way down to this man, or Eber to, to Peleg, all the way down to Tira to Abram. All right, do you remember what was happening in chapter 11? Because in chapter 11, the whole earth, in verse 1, the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Do you understand the issue here? Because in chapter 9 and verse 1, God tells them to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. They're supposed to be scattered across the entire planet. Yet all humanity, all of humankind are traveling in one massive group 
under the leadership of a guy named Nimrod. We don't have time to get into him. Go back and listen to some of those messages on our, on our website. You can go back and find those things. But it says that they're journeying from the east in the land of Shinar, which, by the way, is where Abram is from. Just remember that. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to work their way to God, work their way to God. Verse 4, and they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. That's what God told them to do. And they were in rebellion to God. And so God says, okay, I'm going to come down and I'm going to, to divide them. Well, how does he divide them? He divides them by language. And so he separates all these people by, the, by different languages and they disperse throughout all the world and they take their mystery Babylon religion with them. Remember, we put up on the screen the different pyramids and different things. They take their false religion with them everywhere. If you remember in Revelation chapter 17, you find that mystery Babylon is the mother of harlots and we went to Proverbs 5 and Proverbs 7 and we laid out that that is false doctrine, is false religion. Every false religion gets its roots in Genesis chapter 11. Every single one of them. Man works their way to God, but in, in the biblical relationship with God, our, our face is no God came down to man. Everybody with me on that? And so the earth is now divided. People are dispersing across. Hundreds of years are now passing by, and we finally make our way to the end of chapter 11. The end of chapter 11. Remember Peleg? Um, we're following his lineage, and you get down to verse 27. Chapter 11, verse 27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. Just remember that, in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai and the name of the, Nahor's wife Milcah and the daughter of Haran and the father of Milcah and the father of Ishka. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, and they came unto Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Everybody take a deep breath, because I need one. All right, that's a whole lot of information, a whole lot of history, but we got to lay all that out so you understand where we are. We've had to lay this down for a minute. We got to pick it back up because when you get to chapter 12 and verses one to three, if you don't have this written in your Bible, maybe you want to write this down or make a note beside it. These are some of the most important verses in your entire Bible. Now we got to, there's different passages in your Bible I would say that about, but this is one of them. I would think one of those would be also Daniel chapter 9, right? But here is Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be Blessed. What's happening here? It's, this is an important passage of Scripture because God is laying out for us the beginning of the nation of Israel. That's what's happening here. This is the beginnings of the 
of, of, the, of the Hebrew people. So let me just break this down historically, doctrinally, inspirationally, just for a moment. Historically, God now shifts his focus from those 70 nations down to one. That's what's happening. This is the beginning of the Hebrew nation, and God calls out, now this is important, God calls out a pagan man named Abram, and he says, okay, I'm going to use you. All right, so it's been a second. Let me throw a verse up on the screen. It's Joshua chapter 24 and verse 2. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 2, it says, And Joshua said unto the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abram, Abraham, and the father of Nacor. And notice this, they served other gods. This guy is a pagan worshiper. He's an idol worshiper. He's a false worshiper from mystery Babylon religion. That's all he's known. So he's not even gone far from Babylon. He's just south of Babylon, down the Euphrates River, and he is worshiping, serving these false gods. So historically, he's starting with this new man named Abram. But doctrinally, what's happening? Well, he's choosing the people that are going to lead to the world's blessing. He's, he's figuring out, he's singling out a chosen seed line for Jesus Christ. And that's how the true blessing comes, right? So the importance of the nation of Israel, that's what's happening here in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. In fact, look at verse 3 again. It says, I will bless them to bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. In other words, you're very important. As you go Israel, so goes the world. Listen, you want to understand how things are happening around the world. You, if you are into global economics, you're into geopolitical issues, you better check out how Israel goes, because how Israel goes is how the rest of the world goes. Let me remind you of this verse, Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 10. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 10, it says, remove not the old landmark. That old landmark is Israel. That's what the old landmark is. Remove not the old landmark and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. What happens when the nation of Israel was no longer in the land? It ushered in the times of the Gentiles from 606 BC, I would argue, all the way into the day, as the Israel is still going to back to inhabit the land since World War II. Just over 70 years ago, by the way. Just over that. All right, so he says here in verse, verse 2, he says this in verse 3, that there's a blessing that's tied to the nation of Israel. And that blessing is salvation through Jesus Christ. That's what that blessing is. Doctrinally, it's the blessing. So Galatians chapter 3 and verse 8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, in thee shall all the nations be blessed. And so every nation, those 70 nations of chapter 10 and chapter 11, they get blessed through the promised seed of Jesus Christ. All right, so Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not into seeds as of many, but as of one into thy seed, which is Christ. Now pay attention. God just gave you detail. He said, pay attention. the word is not plural, it's a singular word. He doesn't say the seeds, plural. He says it in one, and that seed is Jesus Christ. So that blessing that he's referring to in chapter 12, that he's going to reiterate in chapter 15, that he's going to reiterate in chapter 17, that he's going to reiterate later in different chapters, is pointing to Christ. That's the blessing. That's why, the nation, that's why these verses are so, so important. 
As Israel goes, so goes the world. All right, so what does that have to do with me? What is the inspirational application? Well, listen, God is calling out Abraham to set up his kingdom. And God is going to use me and God is going to use you to further the kingdom of God. We can apply a lot of things that happens in Abram's life into our own. We can say, okay, I can glean from that. God is able to use you in spite of your past. Now, you may never say, well, I used to bow down to idols, and I might used to cut myself, and I used to do this, and I used to do that. And Well, that's what Abraham was, and God was still able to use him. And maybe you've got a past. Maybe you've got some history you don't even want to talk about. And yet, God is still able to use you. Praise the Lord. Amen? God is able to use you if you allow him to. And that was Abram's issue in these, in these passages. Abram is struggling with allowing God to use him. And so the question on the table then is, what does it take for me to be used by God? What is it going to take? What does that require? And we already gave you the sermon titles that God requires obedience, doesn't he? That's what he wants. And not just obedience, he wants complete obedience. All right, so let's get really, really practical here. When God calls you out, here's your blank. When God calls you out, you will be tasked with complete obedience. You are going to be tasked with complete obedience. Now, go to verse 1, chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Let's just stop right there. So God had said to him, okay, get out, get away from your country, get away from your kindred, get away from your father's house, and I'm going to take you to a different land, unto a land that I'm going to, in other words, you don't even know what land is, but I want you to leave where you are to a different land. All right? So when God calls you out, he wants complete obedience. But here's what it's going to take. Here's your next blank is you must be willing to completely leave everything you know. You have to be willing to do that. You remember when Cale Horvath was up here preaching? He had the exact same point. Are you willing to leave everything behind? Because that's what it's going to take. Now notice the point. You must be willing to completely. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. Well, I don't know if I'm... You mean if I follow the Lord, I'm going to have to leave every... That's not what I said. You have to be willing to. You have to be willing to. And maybe you're thinking, why won't God use me? Why won't God use me like this person? Why won't God use me like that person? Because you're not necessarily willing to completely leave everything behind. Because that's what it's going to require. Now, for him, that meant country, that meant kindred, that meant home. That's what it meant for him. I got a map just to put up just so it can maybe visualize. If you notice down the far right corner is the number one, that's Ur of the Chaldees. So he's a pagan worshiper. He's serving false gods. He's doing his thing. We don't know what it looked like when God spoke to him, but God speaks to him and says, hey, I want you to leave here, and I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your kindred. I want you to leave your father's house. I do a land that I'm going to show you. 
And what you find is he gets up and he leaves, but the problem is he takes his father's house with him. And he ends up, number two, in Haran. You read about this in chapter 11. So he ends up in Haran, and then God has to get a hold of him there, and that's where his daddy dies, is in Haran. And then he makes his way down into the land of Canaan. So what's happening here? Well, according to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, he says, I want you to get out from your country, from your kindred, and from thy father's house. In other words, your country, that's your patriotism, that's your society, that's everything you know, your kindred, that's your culture, that's your ethnicity, that's your heritage. Are you willing to separate yourself from all of those things? Oh, not just that, but also your father's house, that's your family. We just went from macro to micro, didn't we? As big as you get, all the way down to as small as you get, are you willing to leave it all behind, Abram? Now, this is roughly, I don't know, about a thousand miles away, by foot, no car, no, no, no way of video messaging each other, no telephone, no snail, I mean, snail mail's not even going that fast. Right? It is, this is a long ways. And Abram, he ends up saying, okay, I'm in. I, I want to do that. He had no problem necessarily leaving his country, and he had no problem necessarily leaving his kindred. But when it came to his family, that's where he struggled. That's where he had a difficult time. You got to be willing to leave everything you know. Not necessarily that it's going to happen, but are you willing? That's what I want you to consider this morning. If God is calling me out, if God is singling me out, am I willing to move? Am I willing to relocate? Am I willing to leave it all behind? Now, he doesn't do that with the majority of people. The majority of people, he wants you right where you are, plugged in where you are, serving where you are. But every once in a while, he will single somebody out, and it's going to hurt. Because this is what you've got to be willing to leave. All right, so stay in chapter 1, or chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. Next point I want you to get is that you must be willing to step out in complete faith. How many, uh, how many planners do we have in the room? Love to plan. Like to have it all, some of y'all like scared to raise your hand. You know who you are, you're a planner. You want to know every detail. You want to go on vacation and you want every second to be planned out of vacation. You want it down to the T where, where we're going to relax for 15 minutes. Then we're going to go watch a movie for this. And then we're going to go over here, we're going to go shopping. And we might squeeze in five more minutes of relaxation. Listen, when I go on vacation... I don't want to know if the clock exists. I don't even want to know a calendar exists. I don't want any of that, right? Just leave me alone. Just let me, let me be. Some of y'all are like, no, no, we got to get every single thing we can out of this trip or it's not worth it. Okay, y'all go do that on your own. Don't ever invite me on one of those trips, right? I, I just need to check out. But listen, some of us, we want to plan. We want to plan everything else. So if I went up to some of you and said, hey, okay, what's your five, five-year plan? You might even have it up on your phone. This is my plan. This is how it's going to work. This is how everything's going to be. Okay. 
that, that's great. I've got a five-year plan. I've got a 10-year plan. This is my goal. I'm going I'm to get married to this guy. I'm going to get married to this girl. I'm going to do this job. I'm going to live on this street. I'm gonna, I mean, you got your whole life planned out. And then God steps in and says, hey, uh, I'm going to burden your heart for somewhere else. I, I, I think I might call you out. And you got to be, are you willing to leave it all? And you might say, yeah, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to do that. Okay, here's what it's going to take then. Um, I need you to be willing to step out in faith. Excuse me? Yeah, no plan. I got, I got no plan for you. In fact, I, having a year plan is going to struggle for you. And so um, I'm not even going to tell you where you're going to go. Are you willing to follow me even if I tell you, even if I, I mean, where are you going to go? I don't know, Lord, where are you going to take me? I'll show you as, as we go, right? Thy word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path, right? One, one of my favorite things about that verse is it's not, he doesn't lay it all out. He just, it's a lamp, it's a light. It just reveals the next few steps. And that's what it is to follow the Lord. You gotta be, you gotta step out in faith not knowing where you're gonna end up. And that's terrifying for some of us. Just tell me where I'm going. If you could give me that, tell me how it ends. He doesn't always do that. In fact, he rarely does that. This isn't up on the screen, but Romans chapter 1, verse 17 says, the just shall live by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight, knowing that God will guide your next step. Are you willing to step out of faith knowing that God is is able to guide your next step? Not necessarily your next 10, but your next one. That's terrifying. Knowing that God has something for me, but you don't know what, and you know God is taking you somewhere, are you still willing to follow? Are you still willing to go? That's what it means to step out of complete faith. Stay in verse two. Let's go to verse two. It says, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Next point. You must be willing to allow God to completely transform you. completely transform you. Here's Abram, a pagan idol worshiper. We don't know much about him. But when he gets to chapter 12, it's just him and his wife and his nephew. And he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless thee. I'm going to make thy name great and, and thou shalt be a blessing. In other words, I'm going to make you a multiplier of men. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you a reproducer of reproducers. Now, we don't have time to go there, but if you went to, to Exodus chapter 1, you would find that he, he increases to 70. And they go, down into, they go down into Egypt with 70, but they come out hundreds of thousands. But it starts with one man's obedience. 
He says, I'm going to make you a multiplier man. I'm going to make of thee a great nation. Now, can I remind you of what chapter 11, verse 30 said? His wife was barren. He's got no kids. And he's aging. So he's got to step out in complete faith, knowing that God says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And he looks at his wife, and his wife looks at him and says, we ain't got no kids. Yep, I'm still going to make you a great nation. Are you willing to follow me? Are you willing to do this in faith? But then he says, I'm going to make, I'm going to bless thee, and I'm going to make thy name great, right? He says, I'm going to make thy name great. In other words, I'm going to make you a leader among men. This isn't an issue of influence. Sorry, this isn't an issue of fame. This is an issue of influence. This isn't about him having a really cool name that everybody in the world knows. It's that he's going to have great influence in the world. That's what he's referring to. If you're following the Lord, I guarantee it will transform you. And if you're going to follow the Lord with your life, I guarantee one of the first things he's going to try to do with you is to make you fruitful. Why? Because that's what John 15 says, is to make you fruitful. To bear fruit and more fruit and, and much fruit, but beyond that, he's also going to put you in a position not to be famous but to have great influence. If your goal is to be known, if your goal is to be heard, for people to be talking about you, then you are not following the Lord. Amen? If we spend all of our time talking about the name Harvest Baptist Church, promoting that, we are failing. It's the name of Jesus Christ we proclaim. That's what we want to be about, and that's what we must be about. But then he says this, I will make of thee a great nation, I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. So a multiplier among men, a leader among men, and a blessing among men. That's what God is calling us to. Now, blessing can only come from within a position of obedience. Can I get an amen? Blessing can only come within a position of obedience. Because everything he's selling Abram in this moment is all theory. It's all theory for him. This is all promise. These are all things he told him while he was over in Ur of the Chaldees. All of this sounds great. But he had to be willing to be obedient, and he had to be willing to go through little steps. He had to be willing to go through all these different things. And it's not until you get to chapter 14, chapter 13, chapter 14, and God finally says, okay, now I can use you. Because it wasn't until a place of complete obedience that God could finally say, I'm ready to use you. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself. But he says, I'm going to make you a multiplier of men. I'm going to make you a leader among men, and I'm going to make you a blessing among men. Men, and you really want to be a blessing? Follow the Lord with your life. You want to be a blessing? Follow the Lord with your life. If you want to be a blessing, follow the Lord with your life. Why? Because the blessings of God are inescapable. They surround you. Remember the man named Joseph, which we'll finally get to some point in time this year? Everywhere Joseph went, God's blessing came. 
and God's blessing came to those who were close to Joseph. Not because they were close with God, but they were close to a man who knew God. The blessings of God are unavoidable. All right, so get to chapter 3. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Here's your next point. You must be willing to completely allow people, that makes no sense. All right, you must be willing to completely allow people to respond to what God is doing in your life. If God is moving in your life, if you're allowing him to move in your life, then you have to be willing to allow people to respond to what he's doing. Let God handle the response. Because I got news for you, people will respond. Go make a radical decision to follow the Lord and see what your family says. Try it. I know of a, of a lady whose family's pretty much disowned her because she took the grandkids to a foreign land. How dare you take my grandbabies away? I guess the solution is to like write you off. I mean, it, that makes no sense to me. Why can't we celebrate what God is doing in somebody else's life? It's got to be, and listen, I don't have grandkids, so I, I can't even imagine what that must be like, but that's a hard decision. You just watched your daughter say, I'm willing to leave everything and everyone behind because that's what the Lord is doing. And then then I'm willing to follow the Lord and watch him transform me. And, And to see the fruit of the multiplication and to see that God's name is becoming great and to see the great influence that's happening where she and her husband are, it's pretty remarkable. And people will respond. And I love the grace that she has. It's not like I know her well. I just know of her. But I love the grace that she has. She loves her family. She's allowing God to handle that. That ministers to me. I see that from a distance, and I want to learn from her in that area. But people are going to respond. It's something you've got to get down is that people are either going to respond with positivity or negativity. Those are your two options. People are either going to bless you or people are either going to curse you. You all with me on that? So think back to some decisions you've made where you said, I'm going to go serve the Lord with my life. People either chose to bless you in it or they chose to curse you in it. Well, how do I handle that? What do I do? How do I respond to that? Let them respond. And then let God respond to their response. That's how you handle it. Them that bless thee, I will bless thee. Them that curse thee, I will curse thee. In other words, God responds to their response. My job is to respond to his word and do what God has told me to do and do it with everything I've got. I'm going to all in, Lord. I'm willing to leave it all behind. I'm willing for you to transform me, and I'm willing to step out in faith. And people are going to respond in blessing and cursing, and I'm going to let God handle that. 
as I do what you told me to do. That's what God's called us to do. That's what God's called me to do, and that's what God called you to do. He's not necessarily telling you to leave the country. But are you willing to follow him if it means you leave your family? If it means that you got to change? Now, if you've got study sheets, don't freak out. There's a lot of blanks. We'll get those next week. Right? We just got to, we're going to split this one up in two. So let me give you, let me give you next week's main point. Y'all ready? When God calls you out, you will wrestle with complete obedience. Now, you've been tasked with it, but I need you to understand something. You're going to wrestle with that. Everything we just talked about is what God desires. Everything we just talked about. He wants you to be willing to leave it, willing to step out in faith, and willing for God to transform you. Let's just be honest. That ain't easy, amen? That's hard. It's very difficult. So you're going you're gonna to wrestle with it. You're going to struggle with it. Can I just give you a precursor to next Sunday just so you all prepared? Go to chapter 12, verse 1 again. Now, the Lord had said. See those two words? The Lord had said. This is something God told him a long time ago. That he began to pursue, but not with complete obedience. And God had to remind him again. Let me take you to a passage. Let me take you to something I've said to you before. And that's where we're going to pick it up next time. It's right there. Let's stand together. I think we can glean a lot from Abram's life, individually, corporately. Listen, I know we did a history lesson, the first chunk of the message. I get that but I want to make sure that we all understand where we are in our Bible, how it all lays out, the volume of the book. This is about Jesus. Now, do I, under, do I think Abram fully understands that at the point? I don't think so. But he does know this. God is going to turn him into a nation, and God is going to bless all nations through him. And it requires his complete obedience. And God has to do a work in him to get him to that point. Are you willing to follow the Lord? And if so, just know this. You're going to wrestle. But the blessing comes through complete obedience. That's what God blesses. So if you don't know Christ as Savior, you need to get saved today. Just submit there. Just get saved. Finally give it up. Quit trying to do this on your own. You need Christ. You need to get saved. Some of us, God has been speaking to you for years and you know it. Just be willing to lay it all down. Say, I'll follow you wherever you go and wherever you want me to go. If it means leaving it all behind, I'll do it. If it means staying here, I'll do it.
but I'm all in. I'm tired of just doing church. I'm tired of just being bored with church. I'm tired of doing services. Let's follow the Lord with their lives. Amen? So let's take about 15, 20 seconds. Just pray. You do business with the Lord. And then I'll close this out. We'll be dismissed. Father God, Lord, your word says that you called out Abram, singled him out so that you could use him and the decisions he made in his private life would become a blessing to all that that blessed him, to the decisions that he made. And so, Lord, I thank you for that because we are here this morning singing praises to you. Have a word, a perfect standard of the word of God in our possession. Lord, singing and preaching and talking about this because I have a man, Lord, that you singled out thousands of years ago. Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for the lesson, Lord, that we can learn from him just being submission to you, knowing that you've been tasked with complete obedience, and Lord, knowing that is where the blessing is. But Lord, if I'm honest, I struggle. I struggle with complete obedience. So Lord, I pray, pray that you would convict me of that. Lord, reveal the areas of my life that I've yet to turn over to you. Lord, do the same in this body. Lord, if there's somebody here who does not know you as Savior, Lord, they know that they are separated from you. They know that they have not accepted this promise. They understand, Lord, that they are sinned and they're separated from you. Lord, I pray that you would convict them of their need to be saved this morning. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in the lives of the individuals of this church and this church as a whole. Father, Lord, I pray that we would keep our eyes focused and be and choose to dwell in a state of complete obedience. We ask all this in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen.